0: having plans in place will make life so much easier and I know it just feels awkward to try to start the conversation but trust me the consequences of not having the conversation can be so much worse
1: welcome to the smart money mama show where moms get real about money to help you find your financial confidence and live your best life now let's talk money mamas Hey there, I'm your host, Chelsea Brennan, and Mamas, today on the show, we're talking to Cameron Huddleston, author of Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk. Remember when your parents had the birds and the bees conversation with you, how you avoided eye contact and just hoped it would end? Or maybe your parents avoided it altogether because it was just too awkward. Well, now it's your turn to find the courage and sit down with your parents for the talk. Cameron is an award-winning personal finance journalist with years of experience, But when her mom got diagnosed with Alzheimer's at 65 and Cameron became her mother's caregiver, she saw the impact of avoiding talking to your parents about aging and money. She knows that talking about aging and money with our parents can be scary, but it is so, so necessary to avoid harder situations in the future. That's why she wrote her book, Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk, about how to have those conversations. And that's what we're talking about today. In this episode, Cameron is going to walk us through what we need to know to have the talk with our parents, why it's important, and how to make the situation a little bit easier. As always, stick around until the end of the show to hear my top three takeaways from the episode. Or you can head over to smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N, for the complete show notes and to download your free family money values worksheet. Are you ready, mamas? Let's get started. Hey, Cameron, how are you? I am doing well. All things considered, right? (laughs) All things considered. Guys, we are recording this right in the middle of the coronavirus, like everything around us is shutting down. Cameron, where are you located? I live in Kentucky. Okay. How are things there? Well, you know, I have to
0: give high praise to our governor who has been super proactive and just announced that... All non-essential businesses are going to have to shut down for a while, which I know is really hard. But I mean, schools have been closed for a while. My mother, who is in assisted living, I haven't been able to see her for like two weeks now. I'm so sorry. But I understand, you know, but it's necessary. I mean, you know, I know that that's what's needed right now. So I'm I'm just glad that we have someone who is Trying to take as many steps as possible, and I know people aren't necessarily happy about it, but it's the only way you're going to stop the spread. So,
1: yeah, I was glad to see that our governor was working together with the New York and New Jersey governor. It was nice to see that, like, they all took action together on on business closures and all those things. Hopefully, it does help slow the spread as much as the economic impact will be hard, I'm sure. So, your mom that you brought up actually inspired your book, right? Can you talk about what happened with your mother and how you ended up writing "Mom and Dad, We Need to Talk." Sure. So I had not had any conversations with mom about her finances,
0: like most of us, really. I mean, we don't, I mean, we have a hard enough time staying on top of our own finances, right? And so the idea of talking to our parents about their finances is like not even on our to do list. And even though I have been a financial journalist for a long time, just not a conversation I needed. I thought I needed to have. I did have a conversation with my mom about long-term care insurance. And this was before she started having any issues with her memory. And we found out she couldn't get coverage. She had another pre-existing condition. And that was the point when I should have had a conversation with her, when I should have sat down with her and said, hey, let's talk because she and my dad were divorced. She was living on her own. I should have said, let's look at your finances. But I didn't. Well, you had three little kids at the time, right? Actually, no. I think when I had suggested that she look into long-term care insurance, I had just moved back to my home state of Kentucky. I didn't have kids yet. So, you know, fast forward a few years and she's starting to have trouble remembering things. And at this point, I'm not afraid of talking to her about her finances, but if I had said something to her, I would have had to say, look, mom, we need to talk about Things because I noticed you're having trouble remembering things. And I didn't want to have to be the one to tell her that she was having memory problems. So, you know, I kind of stalled for a while until it got to the point where I realized I couldn't stall any longer and said, let's go meet with an attorney to update all your legal documents. We got in in time. She, you know, had gone to a doctor. She did end up getting diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And, you know, I slowly kind of had to work my way in to helping her manage her finances. At this point, I manage everything. But the thing is, because I had not talked to her, I had to play detective. Because we were in a very emotional stage. She had this diagnosis, and suddenly she realizes that She's not going to be able to do things the way she used to do them, and I wanted to tread lightly. I didn't want to look like I was just coming in and taking over. I didn't want to scare her, and if I had had conversations beforehand, back many years before when we found out she couldn't get long-term care insurance, we could have sat down calmly and had a conversation, and we would have been talking about a what-if scenario. Once we were in the middle of it, it changed the dynamics entirely and made things a lot more difficult. And you know, it was a few years after I had gotten involved with my mom's finances and I was actually doing a podcast interview with the folks at Experian. And we talked about my mom's situation and both of the hosts said to me, well, you know, I need to be having these conversations with my parents. And the person who was recording it said it. And there was another person in the room and I thought, you know what? People need help with this. People need to know that they should be having these conversations. They need to know how to do it and they need to know what to ask. And so that's what prompted me to write the book.
1: And the book is amazing. I've actually read it twice now. <laughs> wow. Thanks. It's great. And one of the things you said is like, we don't even know what to ask, right? And you said that when your mom started showing signs of mental decline, you asked her to go to an attorney with you. And I know people are listening going, why go to attorney? What, what did you need to do at the attorney? <laughs> so can you explain what you were trying to get lined up? So this is the biggest thing. If you can only find out one
0: thing from your parents find out whether they have estate planning documents, a will or a living trust. Both of those spell out who gets what when you die. You know, a living trust lets you do some other things too. Like kind of, I'm not going to get into all the details of it, but a living trust can be important for planning before you die too. Will is just what happens after you die. Even more important though than that will, if you have a parent who ends up with dementia, is the power of attorney document, which lets you name someone to make financial decisions for you if you can't. I knew my mother had to name a power of attorney, which she ended up naming me and my sister. You can have more than one. If she had not done this and as her memory declined, I would not have been able to step in and sign checks for her, talk to her bank, talk to her credit card companies, do anything financially related for her without going to court proving she was no longer competent and being named her conservator. You have to have that power of attorney document in place. Yeah, maybe you have a password to your parents' bank account and you can go online and pay bills, but are you legally allowed to do that? It's a gray area. You certainly can't sign checks without that power of attorney document. Your parents have to have a power of attorney and they should also have a living will that spells out what sort of of end-of-life medical care they do or do not want and- they need to name someone to be a healthcare proxy, someone to make healthcare decisions for them. As a financial journalist, I knew my mother had to have these documents. And that meeting with the attorney was great because if your parents have an Alzheimer's diagnosis, don't assume it's too late. Or if they're starting to show signs of memory loss, don't say, well, it's too late. They're no longer competent. A diagnosis does not equate competency honestly, I just interviewed an attorney about this. And so this is very fresh on my mind. And so what I'm telling you is correct. And she said, you know, if your parent has been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, still go meet with an attorney. The attorney might find your parents still competent enough to sign these documents. And the reason competency is so important is because they don't want someone who is no longer capable of making informed decisions to sign over a lot of control to someone else. And so the attorney is going to sit in a room privately with your parent and ask some questions to make sure they're still competent. And my mother was at the time, and she knew what was going on. She was just having trouble remembering smaller details about things and you know, buying five boxes of oatmeal at the grocery store because she forgot that she had five boxes at home already. And so we had those documents in place, and the attorney was great because she also suggested other things we should be doing, like going to the bank right away and letting them know that I am my mother's power of attorney. And attorneys can also help with a lot of estate planning. If you meet with an elder law attorney and you need to discuss ways to pay for long-term care, they're going to suggest some strategies that you might be able to use. So yes, there are free and low-cost documents available online, but... If your parents can afford to meet with an attorney, I say do that because you're going to get documents that are tailored to your parents' specific situation, and you will get that additional advice if you need it.
1: And I think the note, too, of if you don't do it and then you need the documents, the conservator process can be very expensive. Can you explain what would happen if you had not had those documents in place?
0: Yes. So, you know, say your parent has a stroke And no longer competent to manage finances on his or her own. Essentially, what you have to do is put your parent on trial to prove that your parent is no longer competent, which is horrible. No one wants to have to do that. No one. So, there was a man I interviewed for my book. He spent nine months and $10,000 hiring an attorney for himself, his father, getting a neuropsychiatrist to evaluate his dad. And he had the resources to pay for that. And he was also paying his dad's bill out of his own pocket because he couldn't access his dad's bank account. His dad had been in the emergency room and then put into a nursing home for rehabilitation. This guy, you know, he's a financial blogger. So he's on top of everything. But a lot of people aren't going to be able to come up with several thousand dollars to pay court bills and pay for their parents' bills until they can get access to their financial accounts.
1: And our listeners will know who that is. That's Doug Nordman from the Military Guide because he actually helped us create a military section of our family emergency binder. And what he was telling me at the time when we were going through it is that he had to hire an attorney for his father because his father was the defendant. Like you're literally in court proving that your parent is not mentally competent, which is emotionally charged in so many ways, in addition to the financial strain if you can't afford it. So getting the documents might seem like an expense at the time, but it's totally worth it in case you need them. Right.
0: you know Anyone who brings this up with a parent and the parent says, I'm giving you a lot of control. Why would I want to do that? Why would I want to let you have access to my financial accounts? What you can tell your parents to reassure them, because a lot of this comes down to control and parents not wanting to give up that control, is tell your parents, you know what, mom and dad, if you get that durable power of attorney, which is what they want, not the springing power of attorney. They might say, oh, I want the springing. It'll spring into effect when something happens to me, which is you know, what that means. Durable means it goes into effect right away, which makes it easier for your power of attorney to step in. Tell your parents, look, I really don't have any power unless I have that actual document. The bank isn't going to take my word for it. They're going to have to see the document. So you know what, mom and dad, put it someplace safe. Tell me how I can access it, and under what conditions. And that lets your parents maintain control, and it might put them at ease, you know, so that they don't feel like suddenly they're, you know, handing over the keys to their financial lives to their kids, even if they're still competent to make decisions.
1: And why not use that springing power of attorney if your parents push back?
0: So you can still end up having to go to court to prove that your parent is actually no longer competent enough to make decisions and that you have that right to step in now and start making decisions for them. Yeah, most attorneys will tell you, you want the general durable power of attorney. It just makes things so much easier for everyone.
1: And then for the healthcare proxy, how did that work with your mom? And what has your experience been when you talk to people of do they usually choose the same person as their healthcare proxy as the person, the power of attorney, or can it be different? It can be different. And again, you can have more than one. So
0: my sister and I are both named my mom's power of attorney. We're both named her healthcare proxy. You know, maybe you have a kid who's better with finances. That person could be the financial power of attorney. And maybe you have a kid who lives closer to you. And that person is going to be the one who's going to be going to medical appointments with you and overseeing your health care if something happens to you. And that should be the person who has the health care power of attorney. I live closer to my mom than my sister does. So I handle all of this. And I will tell you, she has had surgery a few times. And when we go into the hospital, that's the first question they ask me. Are you your mother's power of attorney and health care proxy? They wouldn't talk to me if I wasn't.
1: I'm curious, do you and your sister have to agree on all those decisions, or does it mean you can each do them independently?
0: We can do it independently. So I don't have to get her to sign off on things, too. It's Really, it's a backup. If something were to happen to me, then she can step in and keep things running smoothly. Gotcha.
1: Do you have any advice for people about navigating these conversations with their siblings, specifically around, like, you don't want to start the conversation with your parents and then make your siblings feel like you're hiding things from them, right? Exactly.
0: I think it's important to talk to your siblings before you even talk to your parents. You know, call a family meeting with your siblings. Get them on the phone. Send them an email. Let them know, hey, let's find a time where we can sit down and talk about mom and dad. I think it would be a good idea for us to get some information from them. And I think the benefit, actually, of emailing your siblings is you can spell out in writing what you'd like to talk about. Maybe give them some things to think about before you have this meeting Then you're all going to come together, hopefully, and sit down and peacefully have a conversation focusing on what's best for mom and dad. Now, I know that in plenty of families, siblings don't always get along. And it's so important to highlight to your siblings, look, you know, maybe we don't get along, but we need to think about mom and dad and doing what's best for them. I wanted all of us to talk because I do think we need to talk to our parents. I didn't want to go and talk to them without you. I just want to make sure everything is out in the open. We all can be in some sort of agreement. You can decide who's going to start the conversation, when you want to do it, how you're going to start it. And I think it's also important to discuss what roles each of you is willing to play as your parents age. You know, maybe one of you says, Hey, I'm happy to handle the financial side of things. I feel comfortable doing that. Child, again, you know, who's closest to mom and dad might be willing to do more of the heavy lifting if the parents need care. You know, and you might have a sibling who doesn't want to play any role because maybe that sibling doesn't have a good relationship with the parent. And that's okay. Don't force it. But try to keep that sibling in the loop, at least. Say, you know, I understand. Maybe you, you know, don't feel comfortable being involved. But if you'd like information, we'd be happy to keep you updated on what we're doing, how the conversation went with mom and dad. Then if you guys have all talked before you talk to your parents, as you go to your parents' as a united front, even if it's just one of you, just saying, hey, we've all talked. We want to make sure that we're able to help you if you ever need help from us. We're in this together. That's going to go a long way to putting your parents at ease because if they know that their children are willing to work together, it might make it easier for them to open up and start talking to you. I think a lot of times parents can be reluctant to have these conversations with their kids because they, they're they afraid that the kids are going to be divided especially if the conversation is about wills and who's inheriting what. And I will caution you, don't make the conversation about that. Don't make the conversation, what am I getting? What are we getting? You just want to know, hey, do you have a will? Do you have something that spells out who gets what? So there aren't going to be any arguments. There aren't going to be any questions over who gets what.
1: We had a sad situation with a family friend a couple of years ago where the grandmother in the family got sick and needed really needed assisted living care. But the siblings were all fighting over what to do with the house because she didn't have a will. And one sibling was living there and wanted her to stay so that he could stay. And it just became this long drawn out process because the siblings had never spoken to each other and gotten on the same page and the mom hadn't dealt with it early on. And I know that that made this whole situation harder. And it took about six months longer for her to really get into the care that she needed, which was hard to watch.
0: You know, I had a friend who had a similar situation. Her father was much older than mother. He had been ill for a while. And when he died, it did not come as a a surprise. Yet suddenly, the three kids were all wondering, okay, what do we do with mom? Should we let her stay where she is? Should we ask her to move? My friend thought it would be a good idea for her to move into a retirement community. But because they had not had these conversations, and suddenly they were in this situation where they felt like something had to happen— Yes, emotions were running high. They were still grieving the death of their father. And if they had simply had conversations beforehand, I think they could have worked out a lot. Because what happened is mom ended up moving closer to the sons. Sons haven't been able to help out as much as mom has needed. She's in a house that's not ideal for her. And now she's saying to her daughter, my friend, I should have listened to you. I would have been much better in a retirement community. And so my friend was like, well, you know what? We don't have to rush. Let's, you know, take our time to research our options. But they were scrambling. And a lot of times we wait until those emergencies to happen, like I did with my mom. But, you know, I'm hoping that if people read my book, they'll realize things will go so much more smoothly if you have these conversations beforehand and you come up with a plan. Because honestly, you're going to have a lot more options available to you If you plan, then if you wait, especially, I mean, if they don't have those legal documents, what's your option? Yeah. Going to court.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Which would be real fun if you're all fighting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Multiple attorneys to pay for. So that story actually brought up two questions for me. And the first being... Having that conversation about where your parents go to live as they age, right? Because you mentioned in your book, and there's a lot of statistics around the fact that most people want to stay in their homes, but that's not always the best option. And it's often because they don't understand what their options are, right? They picture the very depressing max nursing home level instead of what really is like retirement communities or assisted living. So can you talk through kind of what some of those options are and how to present them to your parents in a way that doesn't make them feel like you're shipping them off to a nursing home?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because as soon as you talk about it, they're like, don't ever put me in a home, which is understandable. I mean, really, no one envisions end of their life spent in a nursing home. It does sound pretty miserable, but it's important to have this conversation. And maybe it's The first conversation you have. Maybe it's the introduction to having more conversations with your parents about their finances and getting the details that you're going to need if you have to help them. You have to be very delicate about it. But you could simply say, you know, hey, mom and dad, are you planning on staying in this house when you retire? Are you planning on staying in this house as you age? And, you know, there's a good chance they're going to say, yeah, of course, we love this house. And then you start asking a few more questions. Well, you know, how is the house working out for you? It's two stories. Do you think this is going to be good for you as you get older, if you end up having any, you know, health issues that make it hard to get up and down the stairs? And they might say, oh, oh, you know, well, you know, we'll deal with that when we come to it. And you say, well, maybe we can talk about it a little bit more now, just because I'd rather not have to have you deal with it when we come to it. I don't want you to have to be forced into a decision. Have you given any thought into maybe, you know, downsizing now? into a one-story home, or maybe an apartment, or maybe, you know, some sort of place where you don't have to worry about maintenance. Planting that seed in their head, and they might shrug it off initially, but bring it up again. Not not the next day, not the next week. You don't want to harass them. You don't want to hound them, you know, but maybe if you have a story to share, or maybe if they start complaining about the house, oh my gosh, we had to fix the roof again. Oh, Really? Remember that conversation we had a few months ago about downsizing? Have you given any more thought to it? Look for those opportunities to
1: bring it up. Not in an I told you so way.
0: Not in an I told you so. Oh my gosh, I told you you need to move. I mean, that roof, the stairs, whatever. No, just reminding them, hey, remember that conversation? Have you given any more thought? And you want to focus on the positives. Don't highlight all the things that are going wrong in their current home. Focus on the benefits of moving, moving into a smaller house, you might have a whole lot more money to do all those things you enjoy like traveling and you don't have to spend the time working on the yard or repairing the roof or whatever those repairs need to be done. If you, and did you know that there are retirement communities, not nursing homes, but retirement communities, or here's another one, active living communities. It's all about the language. It's all about the language. Mom and dad, did you know that there are these communities for people who are 50 and older that are like Jimmy Buffett themed or they're like resorts? There are. That's true. (laughs) Or they're like resorts or, you know, dad's single now. Dad, I mean, you know, wouldn't you want to like be able to hang out by the pool at one of these communities where you can play chess with your new friends and there are lots of single women there and you'll be, you know, never have a shortage of dates and (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? Sell it. You got to play the marketer, you know, but there are, there are lots of communities out there. There are 50 plus communities, people who are 50 and older, and you're surrounded by people who are your age. A lot of them are like resorts. Of course, those are more expensive, but there are even apartments that are geared toward people who are 50 and up. So maybe they can't afford the resort-like community, but they can afford an apartment where they've got people who are their age and- They don't have to worry about noisy kids running down the hallway, keeping them up at night. There are lots of options out there beyond the depressing sounding nursing home. And there are these continued living communities where you can start with independent living, move to assisted living, move to nursing home care. But, you know, it's important to remind your parents, too, you know, you might have no issues as you age, but you might. And, You know, dad, maybe you're counting on mom to help you out. And of course, I know she's going to want to help you out. But if you're in your 80s, she might not have the physical strength to give you that care you need. She might not have the emotional strength to give you the care you need. So I do think it's important, mom and dad, to look into your options, have an idea of what's available, and have an idea of what it costs. Because mom and dad, Medicare does not pay for long-term care. If you need to be in assisted living or if you need to hire someone to come into your home to help you, you need to have long-term care insurance to pay for it. You could potentially rely on the equity in your home with a reverse mortgage. If you have savings, it might cover it. Or, you know, if you don't have the money to pay for that sort of thing, Medicaid will pay for long-term care. But you need to know, mom and dad, Medicare is not going to pay for this. So you've got to have a way to pay for this care if you
1: ever need it. And with Medicaid, you have to deplete your assets to a very, very low limit to qualify.
0: Right. But here's the thing you know, that's again another one of those benefits of meeting with an attorney because elder law attorneys can talk with your parents about how they can do what is called Medicaid planning and shift assets around so that they could qualify for Medicaid if they need it. But it takes planning, it takes a lot of planning.
1: Yeah. I can't remember if it's a five year look back. There's a pretty long look back. So you have to start the planning early and make sure you've moved the assets in time. And can we talk about long-term care insurance for a second? Because in the world of insurance, this is a relatively new product, right? And there is some discussion of like, what is a good policy versus a bad policy? How much does it cost? I think there's a misconception that it's always super expensive. So you can tell us a little bit about how to address that with our parents. Sure. So
0: if your parents are still healthy and in their fifties, early sixties, they will probably be able to get a long-term care insurance policy at a good rate. If they have health issues, if they are later 60s, 70s, it's going to be a problem. It's going to be a lot more expensive or they might not even be able to get it. Like my mother could not get long-term care insurance because she had a benign tumor behind her left ear, but it was considered too much of a risk factor. So That's why she couldn't get it. But, you know, check and see. You might have a health issue, but it might not be one that long-term care insurers consider to be a red flag. So here's the issue with long-term care insurance. Several years ago, and I'm talking like at least a decade ago, you know, when it was newer on the market, they insurers would sell policies that would provide lifetime benefits and quickly discovered that they couldn't afford to do that because... People were using their policies, and they were having to pay out a lot more than they were taking in with premiums. And so several long-term care insurance companies stopped selling the product. At this point, those who have remained in the business are pretty secure because they've figured out, they've developed models that work for them. And you really can't find those products anymore that provide lifetime benefits, the typical, I guess you could call it the typical term, the typical benefit length, benefit period for long-term care insurance is around three years, which is the average amount of time some would spend in long-term care. Granted, I mean, my mother has been in an assisted living facility for seven years now. So she's way above the average. She's also, it's been 11 years since her Alzheimer's diagnosis. So she's above the average lifespan there too, because she was 65 when she was diagnosed. So relatively young. Not a lot of health issues. But here's some things that you can bring up to your parents. You know, encourage them to work with an independent broker and they can, you know, review policies from a variety of providers and find the best deal for them. They can get shared benefits. It's actually cheaper to get a shared benefit policy than two individual policies. And the way that works is you get a pool of years, which you can get a payout. So, like, eight years is pretty common. So you can get a shared benefit of eight years and maybe you use six years and maybe your spouse uses two years. So encourage your parents to look for that shared benefit. This will make it cost a little bit more, but it's so important, the inflation protection, because the cost of long-term care does go up every year. And so they don't want to be locked in with coverage that isn't going to increase as the cost of long-term care increases. So It is worth it to pay a little bit more for a 1%, 2% inflation protection benefit. I'm not going to lie, though. It's not cheap. I mean, my husband and I got a quote for an eight-year shared benefit policy for the two of us. He qualified for the best rate. I am at the second best rate level because of my mom. But it was going to be around $300 a month. We are in our mid to late 40s. We decided we're going to wait till we're 50. Before we we get a policy, you know, but if your parents are in their 50s, 60s already, you might want to encourage them to go ahead and get it. And they say, well, you know, $300, that's a lot. Well, right now, the average cost of a month's worth of care in an assisted living facility is around $4,000. So if you can't afford $300, how are you going to afford $4,000 a month? And by the time they might need it, it could be $5,000, $6,000. And of course, it depends on where you are. You know, but they might not like the idea of paying for an insurance product they might never use, which, you know, which is what you do with a lot of insurance. You know, you that's all insurance. (laughs) Right. You hope you never have to use your homeowner's insurance because this costs so much. There are other options. You can get a life insurance product with a long-term care benefit. The long-term care benefits you get are not as robust. If you don't use it, then your beneficiaries are going to get a payout when you die. So it's an option. There are annuities out there that are geared toward, you know, helping cover the cost of long-term care. And those might be ideal for people who aren't in great health. But with an annuity, you've got to have a big lump sum of cash to invest initially. But the amount you're going to get is going to be more than what you paid in. So there is that benefit to it. So there are some options out there in addition to long-term care insurance, but look into them all and see what's best for you. And maybe you find that, you know, you've got enough savings to cover it and you're going to do just fine. But you need to be aware of the cost and aware of what your options are so you can come up with a plan.
1: When you talk about long-term care, there's usually a years or a dollar value limit on coverage. Is there a way to research what costs in your area would be for the type of care you might need?
0: Yes. So a good place to start, Genworth, which is an insurance company, they do an annual cost of care survey, and you can go state by state. Now, granted, if you are, let's say, for example, I'm in Bowling Green, Kentucky. Bowling Green is going to be cheaper than in Louisville, Kentucky, which is the biggest city in our state. I mean, just an hour south of me is Nashville, Tennessee. So my mother was actually in an assisted living facility there for a while because we did not have memory care facilities in Bowling Green. And I was paying around $6,000 a month for her until I moved wow. her back to Bowling Green. And now it's about $4,500. So the prices can vary, but you can start with the Genworth Cost of Care Survey. And you know what you can do is just simply get on the phone and call around to assisted living facilities, memory care facilities in your area to get an idea of what the cost is and ask, on average, how much do your rates go up each year? And if they can give you that information, too, that's going to help you decide. But yes, you're right. You know, typically there's going to be a limit on the number of years or the dollar amount you get. But having some coverage to help cover, you know, maybe it's just three years. That's better than
1: nothing. Absolutely. And like you said, the average need for long-term care is about three years. I think it's actually about four for women, but it, it's not as much as people think, right? I think we all have those stories of, like, your mom who's been in very long-term care. My grandmother was in long-term care for 11 years before she passed away, but she lived until she was 90, so, like, she was just in care for the last decade of her life. But those are anomalies on average. It, it doesn't, not everyone needs that much care. Right. So when do we start having these conversations? Like, when our parents are 55, when they're 65, like, when do we start talking about it? As soon as possible, Really, because my mother was
0: diagnosed at 65 with Alzheimer's. My father actually passed away at 61 from a heart attack and did not have a will, was in a second marriage, and he was an attorney. So he knew better. He should have had a will. You know, and so you can't assume that your parents are necessarily going to be on top of all this. Of course, I thought my dad
1: <laughs> should have a will. He was an attorney, but... And in a second marriage, which makes it, can make things way harder. And in a second marriage.
0: Oh, yeah. So don't assume your parents are on top of these things. Don't wait to have the conversation. You know, and honestly, right now with everything that's going on, it can be a perfect way to start the conversation. Using current events can help you get the conversation started. You know, hey, mom and dad, I've just been thinking a lot lately about everything that's going on. And, you know, I've been trying to do things to make sure that my family is more prepared. I'd love to know what you've done, you know, or you could say, you know, hey, I got a will recently. Um, this is where it is in case something happens to me. Do you have a will? Where can I find it if something happens to you? Use yourself as an example of what you've been doing to get prepared for emergencies and then ask your parents what they've done. Use a story about someone you know. I had a friend recently, for example, you know, whose father passed away without a will and was in a second marriage and didn't, I mean, wasn't recent for me. But you can use a story. You can say you listened to a podcast, heard something on the news, or maybe you can talk about a scam that's going around. Hey, have you gotten that call You know, from someone claiming to be from the IRS and telling you that you owe money and that they're going to send the police to arrest you if you don't make a payment right away? Hey, that's a scam. Here's some other examples of scams. Lots of ways to start the conversation Naturally. You don't want to come to them and just say, hey, mom and dad, I need to know the details of your bank account.
1: (laughs) You don't want to scare them away. Please send me all your account numbers.
0: (laughs) No, don't scare them away. You know, Use the story. Talk about what you've done. Use current events. Ask them about what if scenarios. What if something happened to you and you were in the hospital and I need to make sure your bills got paid? How would that happen? And if they're reluctant to talk, give them a little space, but come back later and try again with another approach and let them know that you want to have this conversation because you're looking out for their best interest and you want to be able to help them if they ever need help. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you get some information, you know, you don't want to appear like you're being greedy. So you don't want to say, Hey, do you have a will? What are the contents of your will? You don't want to look like you're being too nosy. You don't need to know how much money is in the bank account, but it does help to know where they bank in case something happens know, just letting them know that you love them and you want to be able to help them. And that's why you want to have this conversation. And honestly, most parents, when they see that you are approaching this out of love, they should come around and they should open up and they should talk to you. There will certainly be some who are going to hold out and there will be some who will refuse to talk to you. And You know, maybe you reach out to a third party, a family friend, a member of the clergy, a professional, you know, maybe an attorney they work with and say, call them up. And of course, the attorney can't reveal information to you about your parents' situation, but you can say, hey, can you please encourage my parents to share a little information so that we can help them if they ever need that help getting that third party, you know, or just simply saying to them, you know what, mom and dad, I understand you're reluctant to share information with me. Can you make a list, just make a list of your accounts, your passwords, what type of insurance policies you have, where the lockbox key is, where your real estate deeds are. Put that list with your legal documents someplace safe. And then we can make a list of those situations when I'm allowed to access this information. Hang on to that list and then say, hey, we agreed on this. It's time for me to step in and help.
1: If you want a story to share, we have a um, mama's. We have a person that bought our family emergency binder. A couple of years ago that sent me an email that his father-in-law had passed away that for years his father-in-law said we have everything organized it's all ready to go it's in the safe it's in the safe in the basement it's in the safe he didn't tell anybody how to get into the safe so he passed away and it was one of those safes that's like built into the house so they ripped his office apart. They couldn't find the safe code. The guy's like, "I'm googling how to break into XYZ safe." He's like, "I think I'm on an FBI watch list now." They <laughs> ended up having to hire a locksmith to drill into the safe, which then they couldn't fix because it's built into the house. And so now they were selling the house with this like broken safe in the basement. It was a whole nightmare. That he was like, "If he had just told one of us how to get into the safe, this wouldn't have been a problem." So. Even kind of funny stories can help, I think, a little bit of like, wait, we don't want that to happen. Um, (laughs) Let's make sure we have some kind of plan.
0: Yes. So tell them to put it someplace safe, but tell you how to access it. Exactly.
1: Make sure you know how to get it. And I want to talk a little bit more about like, what if parents are reluctant, but I want to circle back first to what you were saying about scams and financial elder abuse, which is so common. So how can we help make sure our parents are protected from that, especially if we live in a situation where we're not down the road from them?
0: If you're closer, it is certainly easier. If you see that your parents are starting to have memory issues, they're not making the best financial decisions, one thing I would certainly encourage you to do if you live close, offer to help them go through their mail. This is what I did with my mother because they're going to get tons of those sweepstakes entry forms, but they're also going to start getting all these donation requests and my mother was writing checks left and right to anyone who asked for money. So I said, "Hey mom, why don't you let me go through your mail and I can just sort through and put the bills in one pile and get rid of the drunk so you don't even have to deal with it. So that's one thing you can do if you live close to your parents. It is harder if you live farther away from them. What you can do, there are websites you can go to. I do list them in my book. Um, like you can go to like you know, the direct mail association, you can go and sign your parents up so they don't get mail and from legitimate organizations. So you can let your parents know, hey, I signed you up for this. So if you're getting anything, it's probably not a legitimate organization because I've put you on these lists to not get mail from reputable groups. So whatever you're getting now, it's probably just junk mail. Just throw it away. You can put them on the do not call list and let them know, hey, reputable organizations won't be calling you anymore. If it's you know someone calling you and asking you for money, it's probably a scam. Alert them to red flags. You know, you don't want to just say, oh, hey, watch out for these people calling you, asking you for money. You know, be specific. Say, mom and dad, you will not get calls from the IRS. You won't get calls from the Social Security Administration. You won't get calls from Medicare. Okay, government agencies are going to reach out to you by writing. So if someone calls and said, hey, this is the IRS. We're auditing you. It's a scam. If anyone asks you to wire money, that's a scam. And government agencies will not ask you to wire money. Or if they tell you to go to the grocery store and get some sort of, you know, card where you have to load money up on it and then give, you, give them a number over the phone, it's a scam. Alert them to those red flags. The grandchild one is a big one
1: right now, right?
0: Oh, yeah. And so, you know, if tell your parents, look, if you get a call and it's someone claiming to be one of the grandkids... Ask them a question, only your grandchild would know, or say, you know what, hang up, let me give you a call back. Okay, and then they might say, oh, no, 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 I have to call on this day." like, let me just give you a call back. And then, you know, tell your parents to call you or to call the grandkids directly on the phone number they have for the grandkids, because then you can find out pretty quickly whether your grandkid is safe or whether it's someone scamming you. Um, Yeah, the grandkid is a big one. But alert them to those red flags. The Better Business Bureau, BBB.org, is a great resource to go and look up information about common scams, the red flags for scams. You can go there, print it out for your parents, send your parents to the website. I have a scam red flag sheet that you can print out. It's free. Give it to your parents. They can hang it up on the refrigerator, by the phone. Let them know what the red flags are. And also, it's A good idea to tell your parents, because if your parents are older, we're talking already in their 70s, 80s, you know, they were raised that if someone calls, you don't just hang up on them. That's rude. Give your parents a script. If they get a call and it's not someone they know, just tell your parents, hey, mom and dad, if you don't know this person and they're calling you and they're trying to get information for you, it's okay to say to them, oh, I was heading out the door right now. I need to go. Can you give me a number and I'll call you back later? And that's something you could tell your parents to do anyway. You know, if someone's calling and asking for money, say, oh, can you give me a phone number or a website to call? It's an easy way for them to get off the phone. And if they give them a website, they can go online and look up and find find out if that is a legitimate organization.
1: Absolutely. And guys, we'll have the link to Cameron's red flag sheet in the show notes as well. So you can print that out for your parents. So Cameron, what do we do? To wrap up here, if our parents just really don't seem to want to talk to us, do we keep nagging them about it? (laughs) How do we handle this?
0: So you can, it might take a while, a couple of different approaches to get them to feel comfortable opening up to you. Another thing you can do, instead of trying to get them to talk to you about their finances, maybe offer to help them. Maybe say, hey, mom and dad, I know you hate doing your taxes. I'd be happy to help you. You know, I can help you collect your papers and take it to an accountant, or I can help you enter all this information into tax software or say, mom and dad, would you like me to help you set up online bill payments? So you don't have to worry about making late payments, one less thing you have to worry about, or would you like me to help you go online and set up your, my social security account, offer to help them with something. And that can be kind of a way to kind of, that's your in be useful. It's a win-win situation. You're providing a service to them, and you're getting a little bit of information about their finances. You're getting them comfortable with the idea of sharing some information with you. You can try that. You could, like I said earlier, reach out to a third party, maybe another family member, a family friend, and ask them to encourage your parents to talk to you. You could ask them to make a list of their accounts and put it someplace safe. If they're refusing And there's no way they're going to talk to you. Realize that you've tried your best and they're adults after all. If they don't want to give you this information and you realize they might need your help someday and they don't want to talk so that you can plan, you know, you might have to simply prepare yourself emotionally for the fact that you might have to tell your parents, no, I can't help. And that sounds really harsh, but. If you've tried and tried to talk to your parents and you tried to plan so that perhaps they would be prepared and not have to rely on you too much and they've refused to talk and you're not in a position where you can help them out financially, you've got kids who are counting on you for support, you have to realize that your finances take priority because you don't want to jeopardize your finances to care for parents And then your kids down the road are going to have to jeopardize their finances to care for you because you've depleted all your assets taking care of parents who refuse to cooperate in any way with you to plan for supporting themselves at all as they age. And and I don't say that to be mean. I'm just saying that because really it it is so important for you to look out for your own finances if you are a parent because you have kids who are counting on you. And so, yes, if your parents refuse to talk and then they come to you and say, I need your help, you know, give yourself a little grace and say, look, I wish I could help you, but I can't. I'm not in a position. If you are, then maybe what you start doing is talking to your siblings about creating an emergency fund for your parents so that if they need help, you have the cash there ready to help them. You know, or maybe you decide, I'm not going to downsize when the kids move out. I'm going to keep the bigger house so that I can move mom and dad in because I know they're not going to be able to pay for long-term care on their own. You know, kind of figure out what you are willing to do and what you're not willing to do and get clear on that so that when your parents or if your parents come to you, you have a plan for responding to them and dealing with the situation.
1: Absolutely. And I loved in your book that you mentioned that for people who are afraid of starting this conversation, most parents will eventually come around and at least let you in on some stuff, right? So any tips or just like last words of encouragement on getting started with this conversation now instead of pushing it off? (laughs) Just don't
0: wait. Really, I learned this from experience. It would have been so much easier if I had conversations with my mom while she was still entirely mentally competent. We could have gone through all of our assets. I would have known where everything was. I would have known what all the sources of income was. It, just, it would have been so much easier. And I'm lucky because my mother is a very agreeable person. She did not push back much. She made things easy for me as I had to step in and start taking over. But it would have been better if we had had that conversation sooner. And I know that I'm lucky with my mom because... A lot of people, as dementia progresses, their personality changes. It makes it a lot more difficult to, to deal with them. And so having these plans in place will make life so much easier. And I know it just feels awkward to try to start the conversation. But trust me, the consequences of not having the conversation can be so much worse.
1: Absolutely. All right, Cameron, before we let you go, we have to have you try on our Smart Money Mama's sorting hat. Oh, gosh. <laughs> The Sorting Hat is our version of the hot seat where the magical hat asks you a question to reveal something about yourself. It contains a number of questions about money, motherhood, and life. Are you ready? Okay. (laughs) What is a book, fiction or nonfiction, that you love to recommend to your friends? Okay. My favorite book to recommend
0: is called On Living, and it's by Carrie Egan. She's a hospice chaplain. She was. And so she has a collection of stories from her patients, her clients she was helping as they were at the end of life. The stories they shared about things they wish they had done is so beautiful. It's such... That's amazing. It is such a wonderful book. Um, you know. And I think it's... Actually, I think it's a good book to read right now because... Even though she's writing about people who are dying, as the title says, it's about living and what you should
1: be doing while you are alive so you don't have any regrets at the end of your life. That's beautiful. We'll have to check that book out. and We'll have the link to that in the show notes as well. Cameron, where can people find you and buy your book? You can find me at CameronHuddleston.com.
0: There is a link on my site to the retailers that have the book, such as Amazon and Barnes & Noble. There are also links to my book, social media pages there too, if you want to follow me on Twitter, Facebook, lots of other free information on the site too.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us, Cameron. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. Wow, mamas. Cameron definitely gave us a lot to consider today. None of us want to think about our parents aging and needing help with things, but it's a reality of life. And it's so important to face our fears so we don't make things harder on ourselves, our siblings, and our parents in the future. We covered a lot today and likely brought up some things you hadn't considered before. So before you go get all overwhelmed, remember that talking to your parents about aging and money isn't just one intense conversation. It's about opening the discussion. You don't have to do it all at once. As always, I've rounded up my top three takeaways to summarize what we've learned from Cameron and what you need to know to make a solid plan for the future with your parents. First, Having these conversations with your parents may be difficult or awkward, but it will be even harder if you wait until there's a problem. Cameron was lucky that she was able to get important estate planning documents completed with her mom before her memory got worse. But even then, because she waited, Cameron had to play detective. She had to figure out which accounts her mom had, how the bills were paid, and make sure things didn't fall through the cracks because her mom wasn't always capable of helping her. We don't know when our parents will need our help. Cameron's dad died at 61, and her mom got sick at 65. The sooner we can start these conversations, the better, especially because our parents typically have more options if they're addressing the situation before it's a problem. They can consider what they really want, get guidance, and make a plan. Don't put this conversation off because your parents are young and healthy today. Start talking. Share this podcast episode with your siblings and discuss which role you're each willing to play as your parents age. Get on the same page so your parents know you're all working together. When something happens in the future, you won't be dealing with emotional turmoil and lawyers, financial confusion, and family arguments. Sounds better, right? Second, make sure you know where your parents envision living as they age. Do they want to stay in their home, move to an apartment or an over 50 community, move in with you? What if they need more help, like long-term nursing care? Most people hate the idea of quote-unquote being sent to a home, and who can blame them? But whether your parents would expect you to take time off work to care for them, hire an in-home nurse, or would go to a nursing or assisted living facility, there are real financial costs here. Discuss with your parents what the different options are, how much they cost, and how they plan to pay for it. And outside long-term care, encourage them to really consider whether staying in their home as they age is the right choice. Could downsizing give them more money to travel? If you and your siblings have moved away, would they prefer being closer to you? Or could an apartment in a community allow them to meet some new friends and spend more time being social? Often, people don't realize the burden of maintaining a home until they're out of it, and they may not even recognize that there are high-quality other options. And finally, third, if your parents are reluctant to talk, don't give up. Mama, we don't like to think about our parents or in-laws getting older. But they don't like to think about it either. They may be reluctant to talk to their kids about money at all, coming from a generation where talking about money was completely taboo. They may not want to even consider reaching a point where you have to take care of them. It goes against all our beliefs about what it means to be a parent. Yet, having the conversation is still important. Don't hound them, but leave the door open. Let your parents know about the scams out there and how to identify them. Offer to help with filing their taxes or getting set up with an online banking or bill pay. Maybe recommend they connect with a professional, an estate attorney, or a financial advisor that specializes in estate or Medicare planning. And offer to go with them. But if in your efforts you can only find out one thing, ask if they at least have estate planning documents. Namely, who they've chosen as power of attorney, healthcare proxy, and executor. At least knowing those documents are in order and what everyone's roles are will provide a little bit of clarity. It may take time for your parents to come around. That's okay. You can't force them to talk. They're adults. Yet you can be the one who has a little courage to bring it up and let them know you're there for them. You've got this. Mamas, I want to thank Cameron again for joining me on the show and sharing her insights on how we can talk to our parents about aging and money. I know I definitely have some more conversations to have with my mom now. As always, I appreciate you spending some time with me and I hope you learned a little something. As a reminder, if you're looking for a summary of our key takeaways, links to Cameron's website and book, or want to download your free copy of our Family Money Values Worksheet, head to the show notes at smartmoneymamas.com forward slash Cameron, C-A-M-E-R-O-N. Keep talking money, mamas. I'll see you next time.